Acts chapter 4. We'll read through verse 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the, until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan 
had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the words of God with boldness. This is God's word. We are the least equipped to deal with suffering. For us to even begin to apply the Word of God this morning from Acts chapter 4, we need to feel, I think, the weight of this statement, that we are the least equipped to deal with suffering. Uh, We need to grapple with the fact that our generation is not more uh, sophisticated nor more advanced in dealing with hardship, but abnormal when it comes to meaningfully integrating suffering into the fabric of our lives and even seeing suffering as valuable to our lives. We are very much abnormal. Uh, A guy I really like, I've read a couple of his books, Dr. Paul Brand, he's a well-known, well-regarded orthopedic surgeon who's famous for dealing with leprosy and treating leprosy patients. He spent the first part of his life in the East, in India, actually, and the last part in the West, in the United States. And here's what he said. In the United States, and I think this is true of all the West, by the way, probably. In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients live at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seem far less equipped to handle suffering, and in fact, far more traumatized by it. Guys, ours is the aspirin generation, right? If something is hurt or may hurt, We seek to alleviate it at all costs, right? Pop a pill. Make it go away. Millions have been spent. You know this million of dollars have been spent trying to find materials to make playground surfaces more pliable to absorb our kids' falls off the monkey bars, right? And so people have looked for millions of dollars industries have. Millions. So our kids will get less scrapes. Participation trophies. Have to be the same size as first place, right? So little Timmy's feelings don't get hurt. Even though he knows, and so does everybody else, that he lost eight to nothing. All right, that doesn't go away. Statistically proven, grade inflation at nearly every level of schooling now exists across the globe to offset anxiety, both for school children, but especially for parents who worry, will she go to Oxford? Employees are rarely fired anymore or demoted. They instead resign or they're reallocated, realigned, or repurposed. (laughs) Listen to these true classified psychological conditions. Oppositional defiant disorder and impulse control disorder. Classified psychological conditions, basically to say, it's not your fault you're defiant. It's not your fault you're impulsive in your actions, but since it's causing both of us pain, Here's a pill to take. (laughs) All right, let's get rid of it because none of us want to live with this or go through it. If something causes us pain, the logical response is to change it, move it, or remove yourself from it. And what I'm trying to convey is this is actually very abnormal, our generation, our society we live in today. Uh, In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, uh, Tim Keller, one of my favorite preachers, lays out a very brief historical overview of ways that traditional societies have integrated, meaningfully integrated, and responded to suffering. 
All right, here, here are three ways societies throughout time, until, of course, this last couple centuries, 70 years, 75 years, have responded to suffering. First of all, there's a, and you don't need to memorize this or anything, but I want you to feel the weight and truth of this. There's been a moralistic response. That's one way society has always dealt with it. Either in this life or a past life, you've done some bad deeds, so suffering is a helpful wake-up call for you to turn around and change your life. The most pure form of this response is the doctrine of karma, right? You do something bad, something bad happens to you. And the reason for that is you can start to change your life again and do better. Uh, a second response traditional societies have had is a, is a communal response. This is, some societies see progress only in terms of society, not the individual, which blows our Western mind, right? We're all about me, all about me, right? A lot of times our worship songs reflect that as well, right? But in communal societies, suffering can't really harm you because it's never the real you. You lives on in generations to come, the generations of your children and the people among whom you live. And so when you suffer well, it passes on a legacy for others. There's a third response traditionally in society, so that's a fatalistic response. This is the idea that your noble submission to your personal divine fate makes you maybe not even just a hero, but a legend. Standing one's ground against all possible odds and battle even when it seems foolish. Standing up for your beliefs, even though you're going to be shunned or shamed for it. Such a moment is your destiny to embrace. Now, all of these responses share one thing in common, even though they seem quite different, and that is this, that suffering aids in moving us towards the main purpose of our lives. Whatever societies have conceived that to be the main purpose of our lives, suffering aids us. It helps us in moving towards that purpose. But our Western landscape today is dominated by something called secular materialism. Not materialistic. Not that you like shiny, fancy things and you like to use your credit card at department stores. Not that kind of materialistic, but materialism. Every other society, traditional societies, view the universe in terms of both matter, where you can touch, smell, taste, and spirit. But our society largely believes that this universe is constructed only of matter. Thus, suffering... It's simply accidental, and it's purposeless. If there's nothing, if there's no invisible force behind suffering, it's just accidental and purposeless because that's what we see in the world around us. The most sensible response, then, is to lead the safest and most comfortable life possible, alleviating pain when necessary. And guys, I can't impress upon us enough the degree to which this has affected our modern brand of Christianity. Alleviate pain. Think about it. When someone goes on a trip, the first and usually only thing we say and pray is what? Be safe. When a friend is sick, the first and usually only thing we say and pray is feel better. We don't think that there might be another purpose as well. When you're in an unhealthy or hostile work environment towards your faith, what do we do? We pray for a different job or for a different boss. Right? And so we always think first and only. Not that these things aren't good to pray for. They are. We usually think only about safety only about feeling better, only about removing and being removed, fleeing, escaping the suffering, because that's what we've been taught to do since we were kids. But there's a different way. The last scenario I mentioned of the hostile environment towards Christianity is the one we see most similar to our story this morning, that was similar to suffering endured by Peter and John. You may recall from Acts chapter 3, after a man is healed in Jesus' name, Peter shares the gospel in three different ways, right? He gives him the, the straight shoot and share. He says, yeah, you're responsible for Jesus' death. Your sin is responsible for Jesus' death. 
But you can still have life in his name. Then he gives them the more empathetic share, the sympathetic share, right? Look, you've sinned, but so is everyone else around you. I'm Peter. I denied Jesus three times. I understand. Then he finally gives them the affirmative sharing the gospel, which is you have a purpose. God wants to use you in your life. He has a great plan for you. And you can turn to him and put your trust in Jesus and have life today to see that purpose fulfilled. He shares this. And upon sharing this, the Sadducees were told, quote, came upon them. Which is ironic, because the Sadducees were the secular materialists of their day. Wait a minute, Ryan. That's kind of weird. Weren't they Jewish and they believed in God? How would they be just materialists? That this world is the only world we need to be concerned about. Well, it's because they didn't believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees didn't. Sadducees didn't even believe in life after death. Neither did they look for a Messiah. For them, they thought the Messianic age, their rescuer had come in the person of Judas Maccabeus, this big political revolution that liberated the Jewish nation for a short period of time. In other words, the Sadducees viewed the kingdom of God purely in terms of uh, humanistic and political terms. It's here, it's now. If we're going to have a good life from God, it's going to be here, not in heaven someday. That was the Sadducees' worldview. And since this is it, they wanted the social and religious climate to stay the same. They wanted to be on good terms with everyone, the Roman government, with the common people, to stay pain-free, just like we often do today. But friends, real Christianity does not fear suffering. Instead of asking a church to pray that he be released from jail, for instance, the Apostle Paul had this habit of instead praying, just pray that while I'm in jail, I'll declare the gospel more boldly. But wait a minute, Paul, where's the prayer that you get released? You won't find it. When young Christians in Lystra describe to Paul the biggest lesson they've learned so far with God, it's this, Acts chapter 14. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's like they have this light bulb go off, and early in their life they realize we actually have to suffer if we're going to live out loud for Jesus. When Peter and John are charged and threatened, the final result is endurance, isn't it? Look, verse 31. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They endure in it. They last in it. Peter's life is totally shaped by this experience here of being rejected and threatened by the Sadducees. He later goes on to say to other people, 1 Peter 3.16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God that he bears that name. None of us deserve to be called Christians. It's only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we are. So when we suffer as Christians, we can actually rejoice. That's the strange part. So we're not talking this morning just how to endure any type of suffering, whether it be sickness or lack of safety, but suffering because you are a Christian. And if you've never suffered for living out loud, living your life out loud for Jesus, that's a problem. That's a problem. 1 Timothy 3.12 says that any who would wish to live a godly life, notice this on the screen, will be persecuted. So it's kind of a non-option. There's no box you get to check off that says, yeah, I want to live for Jesus. I want to know Jesus. But can I check the box that says no persecution? That I won't be humiliated, embarrassed, put in awkward situations, or asked to do things that would compromise my life? There's not that box. And I wish I could kind of 
ease you into some of this and give you fun illustrations and stuff. I don't have time and it's very hot this morning. Jesus says that those ashamed to speak out for him and live for him, even if you don't feel up to it, if you don't feel comfortable with it, he will be ashamed of such people upon his return. So, I want to encourage you, if you don't live your life out loud for Jesus, start to, and we'll, we'll pray for you about that at the end. But from this story, I want to share three life-shaping opportunities that are put into play when you suffer because you're a Christian. Three life-changing opportunities that are always put into play when you suffer because you live your life out loud for Jesus. Okay, number one, suffering ambushes, but God can use it to deliver you to friends who will pray with you. You'll see nice little spaces there in your notes where you can fill that in. Suffering ambushes us, but God can use it to deliver you to friends who will pray with you. As you're speaking to the people about Jesus, the religious leaders came upon them. Literally, that is to be set upon them. Uh, Luke uses this word ten times, to be set upon someone, and always for sudden appearances, most notably when the angels come in the Christmas story, right? And the angels just, boom, appear out of nowhere. And that's the kind of scene that happens here with the Sadducees. They come around the corner, and boom, all of a sudden things are going well. Peter's sharing the gospel, and boom, you can just feel the hostile forces infiltrating the crowd, right? Like velociraptors. (laughs) That's how hardship introduces itself, though, isn't it? You don't plan for it, you don't seek it out. And otherwise, the most pleasant moments and seasons of our life, it's the unseen vehicle that comes out of nowhere. It's the text that says, please call. We need to talk. It's the surprise when you think, whoa, I thought that person was my friend. These are the moments when suffering comes and slaps us upside the head in our lives. I think there are two kinds of ambushes upon the Christian. Ambushing your belief and ambushing your lifestyle. Let's talk about those a little bit here. Ambushing your belief in Jesus. When people might say to you, that's fine, you believe that, but don't bring it into the workplace. Don't talk about it around here. Don't talk to me about your religion. When people say, you know, Christianity is for weak people, for the weak-minded, the unintelligent. Or, I won't believe in a God who allows people to suffer and die. It sends some people to hell. I just won't do it. Sometimes it's a little more discreet, but have you ever been in that uh, crowd of people sometimes when someone says, wait a minute, you're not a Christian, are you? You ever been in that situation? You're not a Christian. And you, you just feel the blood rush to your face and you're, you know you've got to say yes. You get to say yes. But also, suffering ambushes our lifestyle, our lifestyle that springs from Jesus. When Sometimes others deliberately put us in compromising positions to test our loyalty. It could be a spouse, a friend, or a boss. Says, is it really me or is it Jesus? Who are you going to be most loyal to? A real friend would celebrate me, go out and party and get drunk with me. Why wouldn't you? Or, man, a real girlfriend would show me how much she loves me. Compromising positions. Please stay home with me on Sunday mornings. That's what I really want from a spouse. Or, you get told, look, I know this sounds shady, what I'm asking you to do, but just take one for the team, all right? These are all ways that we suffer for the name of Christ, and we're put in that position where we give in or where we suffer. And what's interesting is in the book of Acts, the most common term to describe relationships in the church is brothers and sisters. But occasionally, Luke mentions friends. And each time Luke mentions friends, it's always in the context of crisis. It's always in the context of suffering. 
as if friends know when to show up when you're needed the most. And so Luke calls them such friends. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to who? They went to their friends. After suffering, after being persecuted, after being called names and threatened, who do they go to? Their friends. And they lifted their voices together to God. The problem with suffering, ambushing it like like it does, is that reaching out to yet another person only feels like it's going to add to our burden, right? Ah, This is just hard. This is difficult. This is stressful. This is causing me pain. Reaching out to someone is just another thing that's going to add to my stress. It feels initially more sensible just to deal with it on our own, but all that demonstrates is that you don't yet have a friend like the ones described here by Luke. A friend who will simply listen and pray for you and pray with you. It's not going to judge you in your struggle, nor make it all about them when you talk about how difficult your life is, nor make suggestions to try to fix your problem or fix your life. Someone you can WhatsApp or BBM, and they won't press you any further. They're just going to pray. Someone who also is willing to field a phone call or a pop-by when you need to talk about a little more and pray. Such a friend comes about, though, through time and relationship, It comes about intentionally also through the person of Jesus, which makes community groups so vitally important, right? Because where else are you going to be committed relationally with your time, but also around the person of Jesus? Where else do you find that in your life? But something like a small group, a community group. And that's what we want to provide you here at Sunrise, and we have provided you with. Where else are you going to find that? Both time, regular time, and intentionality around the person of Jesus. Now, I said, honestly, it's taken me some time to find such a friend here. I can just go to, I know they're just going to pray with me or pray for me. It hasn't been as easy or natural as it was for me in college when I had Morgan, Elliot, Aaron, or when I lived in Illinois when I had Jim, Mike, and John, or when I lived in Florida and I had Burke and Michael. All of these guys had one thing in common. We all previously shared community around the person of Jesus. So I want to say to you, Don't be discouraged if it takes some time to find such a friend who will just pray with you. But also, get intentional about gathering with others around the person of Jesus. It's not just going to sort of happen one day where someone taps you on the shoulder in church and says, you know what? Let's be prayer partners. It might. God may put it on your heart. The Spirit may put it on your heart and say, you know what? I I could use this. But most likely it's going to happen when you're in an intentional community with other Christians around the person of Jesus. So, suffering ambushes, but God can use it to lead us to friends who will pray for us. Suffering also escalates, but God can use it to deliver you to pray in truth. I'll share with you what that means. First of all, we know suffering escalates. Look, the Sadducees, we'll read in verse 2, were greatly annoyed. Why were they so annoyed? First, because these unschooled disciples could offer the people a smarter message, a more hopeful message, and a more productive message. It was a smarter message, right? Because they were teaching the people, we're told. That was their role. That was their thing. They were supposed to teach the people. And here are these other commoners, people who weren't rabbinically trained, teaching the people. So they were annoyed by this. Wouldn't you get annoyed with the new guy who comes in is a lot smarter than you? A more hopeful message, a resurrection from the dead. Your body will be raised from the dead one day. Sadducees didn't even believe in that. But here are the disciples offering a more hopeful message, but it was also a more productive message. We read in verse 4, Many believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That was just the men. So they're annoyed, and that happens to all of us, right? But then verse 3, read that. They arrested them. Like, wow, 
That escalated quickly, right? I'm thinking about a friend who consistently gets taken advantage of at work. At first, they volunteered to take the cubicle instead of the office. Now they're consistently asked to take one for the team, whether it's work extra hours, to stay back when it's needed, to pay for drinks or for lunch, a little extra. Because their boss and coworkers know, well, they're a Christian, they're supposed to be nice. Guys, as a Christian, you are an easy target. So the occasional few will increasingly dish it out, knowing that you will take it in a way that nobody else will. You're not going to put on fisticuffs and go after them. You might not attack them in passive-aggressive ways that others would. You'll turn the other cheek. Now, listen to how the church responds in verse 24. And you'll start to see, for every attack, for every type of way suffering works, we see a corresponding prayer. Verse 24, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. Now, when we think of praying, we usually conceive what we say out loud to God, right? Praying prayers to God. But the reality is we also need to pray in what God says to us. Pray in. Not just pray out, but pray in, if you would. Ecclesiastes 5 says, God's in heaven, you're on earth, let your words be few. Right? It just makes sense. God knows everything. He already knows what you're going to say in prayer. Are you hearing his words to you? As suffering escalates, guys, so does our worry, and we won't be able to handle it. So you don't need to just pray out your worries. God, here's what I'm worried about, but pray in his sovereignty. Remind yourself, wait a minute, God, that's right. You're in control of everything. You have everything in the palm of your hand. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to you. So do I. So does everything that happens in my life falls under your purpose and good plan. As suffering escalates, we'll wonder out loud what to make of this. Why are we so also pray in all these already made and cared for, including the sparrow. He cares for the sparrow as well. As suffering escalates, we fear what we might lose, right? As it intensifies, we think we might lose something we love. So pray in all that we cannot lose through Christ. His Holy Spirit, his presence, his love, his reserved place for you for eternity. His happiness, the supreme happiness only found in Christ. All of those things you cannot lose, even as suffering gets worse. Prayer then is very much like breathing, right? For every exhale, there ought to be a corresponding inhale. If you don't exhale, you'll hyperventilate. If you don't inhale, you'll suffocate, right? You need these things. Prayer is the same way. For every exhale, inhale the truths about God and his word. Remind yourself of what's true about him in the midst of your suffering. As I've gotten older, guys, I've noticed that I've talked to myself a lot more. And it turns out that this isn't just a sign of senility, though it may be. I'll grant you that. But it might be even a sign of maturity. That's how the great psalmist prayed. The psalmist in Psalm 42 prayed, why talking to himself? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? What is that? He's talking to himself. So he keeps talking to himself. Truth about God. Put your hope in God. You will again praise him. He is your hope and your salvation. Again, Psalm 116. I love this one. Return, O my soul, to, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Soul. Don't be anxious. Return to rest. Remember how good God's been to you? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old pastor I admire a lot, used to encourage, when reading these instances in the Psalms, he used to say, talk truth to yourself before yourself talks to you. Talk truth to yourself before yourself starts talking to you. You know what I mean by that? That when you're suffering, 
There are so many lies to which your mind naturally wanders if you don't talk to yourself. Lies like from, all the way from, man, I cannot survive this. I've got to get out from under this. All the way to, man, I deserve this. Right? What those people are, real, are saying about me behind my back, really, it really is true. And that's what our mind naturally wanders to when you get up in the morning and you're shaving and you're brushing your teeth and these sorts of things. I've got to get out of this. I've got to get away from this. Or, man, that's really, that is probably true about me. I am worthless. I am nothing. I am weak. We've got to get ahead of that. So talk to yourself. Talk truth to yourself before you let yourself talk to you and lie. So third opportunity suffering creates here. Suffering seems irrational, but God can use it to deliver you to pray purpose into your suffering. Suffering will seem irrational at times. God can use it so you can pray purpose into your suffering. I know some of you guys work hard. You work productively with integrity, and you are still teased, jeered, or even left out because you speak and live for Jesus. Why is that, you ask? You, you, you're a good worker. You're kind to your coworkers. You, have, you feel like you, you have personality. You're not just like a, a Christian robot. And yet people still jeer, sneer, even leave you out of situations. You ask why. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't, guys. It doesn't. Others you're kind to. There's, there's someone you're as kind as you can be towards. But the kinder you are to them, the more they push you away. Because you're a Christian. They know where you stand. Why is that when, they're, when you're so kind to them? Compare what you experienced, what Peter and John endured. Verses 13 through 16. Read that with me if you would. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were educated common men. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed sitting beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So first of all, they, they see that there's a change. Right? They notice something in John and Peter they'd never seen before. Men without rabbinic formal education teaching with authority and acknowledging well, it's because they've been with Jesus. And they say, look, we, we, we know this, this crippled man who sits outside the temple gate. We've walked past him a hundred times. And now he's healed. We can't really say anything in opposition to that. But oppose them, they do, right? They still oppose them. They still threaten them. How do Peter and John respond so boldly, not only here, but long after this incident, when they're so opposed, when they're persecuted, when they're laughed at, sneered at? They pray purpose into their suffering. What do I mean? Look, let's look together at verses 25 through 26. Through the mouth of our father David, so their prayer continues here. Through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Why do they set themselves against the Lord, against his anointed? Using Psalm 2, they ask what everyone asks in the face of suffering. Why? The difference is they address their whys in the right direction. Right? Usually we ask ourselves why just in our minds, or we at best ask to say to a close friend, man, why would God put me through something like this? But the truth is, we rarely say it heavenward. They address their wives in the right direction. They address their deepest cry back up to God. And you may ask, well, what good does that do? I never hear God say anything back. But guys, God always speaks back to unjust and irrational suffering. He always speaks back. He used to speak through the prophets, but we're told in Hebrews, he always speaks back through his son who is crucified. He always speaks back. As the church asks him why, look how they sort of pray back 
Look how he sort of answers back to his church in verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, but Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, people of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Guys, the God of this universe accept, subjected himself to evil, the evil of this world, in order to transform it. And yet they screamed for his murder. He came for their good. They wanted him killed. Such, however, we're told in verse 28, is his plan that was predestined to take place. One of the most beloved comforts for Christians is the truth found in the New Testament book of Romans. It's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those called according to his purpose. But this verse does not exist alone. It goes on. Paul goes on to say, for these kinds of people, for those he foreknew, he also predestined, there's that word again, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Guys, God predestined to turn evil and hatred directed at Jesus for your greatest good. He is also predestined to do the same for you. Your greatest good in the midst of suffering. He has predestined it to help you look more like Jesus in your life. So when we want to cave in or flee from suffering, we can instead pray this predestined purpose back to God. But God, I know that you're using this for good, to conform me into the image of your Son. You have predestined that purpose for my life as I suffer for your name. So in a nutshell this morning, you can't remember anything else, remember this. Successful endurance isn't being delivered out of suffering, but being delivered unto God in the midst of it. It isn't being delivered out of suffering, but being delivered to God through prayer, through intimacy with him in the midst of it. And that's the real gift of suffering. In the seeking of a friend for prayer, in praying in and out the truths about God, in praying back to God, his predestined purpose for our lives. That's the real gift as we draw near to him. Archaeologists digging the remains of the school in Rome found a picture, this picture dating from the 3rd century, it shows a boy standing, his hand raised, worshiping a figure on the cross. See it there? This figure looks like a man with the head of a donkey. And scrawled in the writing, there is the writing of a young person, the words, Aleximenos worships his God. A guy with the head of a donkey. Nearby, in a second inscription, we can read this. Aleximenos is faithful. Apparently, a young man who was a Christian was being mocked by schoolmates for his faithful witness to Jesus, for living his life out loud for Jesus. But he was not ashamed. He endured. He stayed faithful. From the first century, the third century, to now, God uses suffering from the name of Jesus to draw us ever nearer to him and make our lives more like his from the inside out. So we often say about living our lives out loud, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. We... We tend to hold back from speaking about Jesus, though, not for others' comfort, but for our own, if we're really honest, because Jesus is the ultimate comfort for any who don't yet know him. So if we want to bring comfort to people's lives, true comfort will speak up for Jesus. Verse 11 and 12, this Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders. He has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. So live your life out loud. 
if you suffer for it, just know you're becoming more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful not only for his death and sacrifice, although we are supremely for that, that he would come to this earth, die in our place, and give us life when we didn't deserve it, but also for the example of suffering. That you left for us an example to follow, that we get to be a little more like Jesus when we live our lives out loud and suffer for it. We can remember through prayer, pray back to you this predestined plan, reminding ourselves this is all part of your plan for us to represent you here on this earth, Jesus. We can pray in the truths about God that you are still sovereign. You still have made all things and know all things. We still have the thing most dearest to us, that is salvation. and No one can take that away from us. The Holy Spirit, eternity forever. We can have friends who will simply pray with us. God, thank you for the gift, the many gifts that can come through suffering for being a Christian. Now help us, give us the courage to live our lives out loud in your name and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.